Welcome to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Get ready for powerful and practical insight on how to let the supernatural power of God loose in your life. Join your host and anointed guests for a crash course of equipping to release God's mighty authority, healing, prophecy, leadership, spiritual warfare, and evangelism. And now, your host, international speaker, author, revivalist, and prophetic voice, Pastor Ren Shuffman. Welcome to DNA of a Dangerous Church. I am your host, Pastor Ren Shuffman, and we have an exciting podcast for you today. Uh, a great friend of mine is here with us today. Ray, would you say hello to the people? Hello, everyone. We're so glad to have you here today. For those people that are listening right now uh, and do not know who you are, tell them a little bit about your ministry and your background. Yeah, so my ministry is called Mining the Truth. Uh, my background, I was actually a creative in the advertising world for 35 years. And through a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, started exploring the area of deliverance and uh, really... He taught me deliverance and inner healing over the course of three or four years, had me leave my career and found Mining the Truth. And so we pray with folks to help them step into freedom and also train and equip in inner healing, deliverance and the prophetic. Inner healing, deliverance and the prophetic. So you and I got introduced through a, a great friend, Dr. Mike Hutchings from Global Awakening. Uh, you know, his recent book has just kind of taken off. He's phenomenal. And, and he said, you know, I have to know Ray. And as soon as I got to know you just a little bit, I knew exactly why I needed to get to know you. So talk to me a little bit about that process. So we, we've, we've heard a lot about uh, inner healing and deliverance. And let's let's be honest. A lot of the church kind of gets scared away from a lot of that. Uh, even in the charismatic circles, we get scared away from it because there's been um, I guess a lot of fringe activity on that. So talk to me about what you do and how it's been effective. You're down there in Texas, how it's been effective just all over the nation, but, but what you're doing down there. You know, I, I think uh, a lot of people are afraid. They've seen the abuses. And a lot of times we allow the enemy to steal because instead of, I like to say the road of truth has two ditches. We'll see an abuse instead of letting the Holy Spirit, correct our steering wheel and get in the road, we will overreact and run to another ditch. And I see that happening in this area. And for a while, I was avoiding all of that, calling it freedom ministry. And we were having such impact. The Lord said, you're going to call it what it is, and we're going to reclaim this. And so I just am out there with it, inner healing deliverance. And I guess a simple analogy we use uh, is an analogy of your soul to a house. When you receive Jesus, you open up the front door, you let him in, but there's cabinets, closets, rooms in your house that you don't know are there, let alone the key to unlock them. Behind those doors, there's typically garbage, which represents the wounds and the lies of the enemy. And then there's rats feeding on the garbage, which represents the demonic. And so the inner healing component, we're inviting Jesus in through encounter. And he's the only one that can heal wounds. And I think that maybe some some of the area where we see effectiveness is we know we're not the healer. We don't try to create a formula. We listen to him and we wait for the encounter because that's when the healing comes. And then he also exposes the wounds and the lies. When we break agreement with that, 
then the deliverance happens. We command the rats to go in Jesus' name. And you get uh, deliverance ministries that believe all of your issues are demonic. Well, you can kick rats out of the house, but if you leave garbage there, they're just going to come back. And then you get inner healing folks who don't believe in deliverance. Well, even though they take the garbage out, if you leave rats in the house, they're going to find something else to chew on. So we find it absolutely necessary to deal with both ends of it. And we really uh, use the prophetic so that we're not caught up in form because our number one value is the encounter. And I think that's really what uh, brings the healing. So That's so good. That's such a good analogy. If you don't get rid of the garbage, if you don't get rid of the rat, like you really have to tackle both sides of it. And, and one of my favorite things when we're talking is the idea that you were trying to stay away from the word inner healing and deliverance because of uh, we've seen some some things on the fringes of that. And you decided to come in and redeem the word. And I think so many people, they run away from problems and you're kind of confronting that head on. And so what kind of success have you seen in in this model? We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of some things that maybe some people can can help them through. But what kind of successes have you seen? Yeah, we've seen um, just amazing stuff. You know, uh, we've prayed with over 5,000 people. Uh, I've seen bipolar schizophrenia yield right in front of me. Uh, and, and really what, you know, Mike Hutchins was really excited. I went to the global school and through a, it was actually over a phone session. He laughs and says, I violated all of his principles. But I, I, as, as a part of what I was doing, I was praying with a veteran and he got completely healed of PTSD, partly through Mike's uh, prayer model. And uh, we've seen marriages healed, addiction broken, sexual identity fixed. You, you name it, we've pretty much seen it healed. Uh, a great recent thing that happened. We had a lady that, uh, and this was not even in a full session. She had a son that was diagnosed with macular degeneration. Uh, I prayed with her and uh, what I heard from the Lord is that there was a generational uh, issue in the life of spiritual blindness. She stood in proxy for him. We broke that. Two days later, she sent me this very excited text that he was completely healed of macular degeneration. So we're just seeing, you know, it's no different than Jesus. Sometimes he just healed, but a lot of times you had to deal with the demonic component to have the breakthrough. Now, you say you broke all of Dr. Mike Hutchinson's rules, but that's because you were doing that before Dr. Mike hung out with me. I got him (laughs) on one of my lives in 2020, and we went after inner healing uh, and PTSD trauma right here on my broadcast and people got set free. And it, it, like, I think the paradigm shifted that God is really bigger than we think he is. Yes. And God can heal in crazy, amazing ways. And while you and I have proximity, Holy Spirit does not have the same proximity. Amen. Uh, and so we can see people set free all over the world. So you've been doing, breaking the rules, uh, praying for people by phone uh, and seeing people get set free. Now that that's a different paradigm shift because we've been told for a long time, you can't do that. And that's been primarily what you've been doing, correct? Well, at least, uh, probably at least half of our sessions are done over the phone and we've prayed with people all over the world. Not and even video calls? Not even video. Come we're, on. We're just starting to do Zoom on occasion, 
But we see, I mean, absolutely no difference between the phone and in person. And people have a hard time believing it until they experience it. And it's, uh, Holy Spirit's not restricted. You know, in fact, he uses technology. So we're just seeing him show up. And it's because, I believe it's because that's their number one value. We know that the encounter is what changes everything. So we really facilitate that encounter. When I'm training people how to do what we do, I say something that they think I'm, everybody laughs and it's funny and they think I'm kidding, but I'm serious. And I say, if you let him, Jesus will make you look like you know what you're doing. Ha, come on. That's good. Amen. So, okay. So walk us through some practical sides of, you know, so like you said, you, you changed the name back to uh, inner healing and deliverance and called it what it is to redeem that. So talk to me a little bit about what God has taught you and, and maybe some of the systems there that might help some other people. Now, now we're not going to do a full training today. This doesn't mean that Ray's going to equip you and you can go out and do this tomorrow, but he, we are going to give you some practical tools. If you're walking uh, in and you need healing and deliverance in those areas, or maybe you want to be able to, to give yourself some more tools in your tool bag to help you walk and help people break free. Well, um, you know, one of the simplest places to start is forgiveness and people are walking around with uh, unforgiveness in their heart because uh, most of what we believe in the West is that our left brain is what we believe. You know, the information in our head that we're storing up there, we think that's what we believe, but what we believe is in our heart. And most of us in the West uh, initially are disconnected from our heart And so when we lead people through forgiveness, we find that it is one of the main ways to help people get activated hearing his voice. I like to say there's a pipeline to heaven that God is trying to get every good thing he can to us through that pipeline and nothing blocks it on our end like unforgiveness. And so when people start to forgive, uh, their ability to hear and see just exponentially increases And the way we walk people through forgiveness, I don't ask them who they need to forgive because they're not going to know. They'll say, yeah, you know, maybe I need to forgive this person. I want to immediately get them hearing from the Holy Spirit. So I would, if I were praying with you, I'd say, uh, Father God, I ask that you would reveal to Ren if there's anyone he needs to forgive, would you put their name on his mind right now? And they're always shocked because he starts giving them names that they think they've forgiven. And then when we walk them through the unforgiveness, I always have them ask, what good thing is getting released that I was blocking through unforgiveness? Because I want them to see what we're forfeiting by walking around with unforgiveness because the enemy tells us uh, in our heart, basically that's how we protect ourselves. And then, uh, you know, always try to wait to the end of a session to do the deliverance component Um, and I like to tell people, if you walk somebody through all the people that they need to forgive in their heart and you get the spirits off of them that are attached to that, you're going to be their new best friend. You deal with about 30 to 40% of their stuff right there. You know, then it goes deeper than that. But what you're saying is we don't need 30 years of counseling to get over an issue. Nope. Uh, a lot of it has to do with forgiveness. Uh, in fact, you're going to really team me up. I believe in counseling, but I've prayed. Uh, there's been 
more than one person, but there's a particular lady I prayed with that had been in therapy 40 years that got healed in a two-hour session. Yeah, come on. No, look, I, I'm a senior pastor. I counsel people all the time. And I also understand that when Jesus walks in the room, everything changes. Uh, it shifts everything. There's a renewing of the mind. So I would rather people get free instantly than have to spend 10 years trying to get over their issues. But I mean, I mean, and all you have to do is just simply say, I forgive that person. And that's it. You never have to forgive again, right? Sarcastically. Yeah, it's, you know, sometimes we have to do it over and over. But what I find when someone goes through the forgiveness that we do, because the Lord is putting on their mind who they need to forgive, they realize all I've been doing is mouthing words and my heart has to be engaged in exchanging, giving this junk over to Jesus. We even word it that way. I tear up all of the debts. You know, we use Matthew 18. Uh, I think it's starting in verse 21 as our model where Jesus compares unforgiveness with a debt. And when you see it in practical terms, uh, that it is a choice and I'm, and I am tearing this debt up and giving it to him, uh, that seems to change the heart posture where they get it a little better. Cause I think up until that point, it's been a left brain, just agreeing to some facts. And really we are letting Jesus have access to the, to the heartbreak in us. Uh, now, maybe maybe this is true with you and you can confirm or, or deny, but uh, I find a lot of times when we're walking people through forgiveness is there, there, there seems to be uh, maybe a lie of the enemy, I guess you could say, that has convinced them that if they forgive that person, that somehow they've let them off the hook and there is no justice for what has been done wrong against them. Uh, in many cases, some people are walking through forgiveness and there may be people listening right now that have had serious things happen to them, uh, um, th things that we don't wanna talk about in front of other people, uh, things that would make you cry and break your heart. And I'm sure you guys can think of many of those things, sexual abuses and physical abuses and all these sorts of things. And there is this belief system that if you forgive that person, that one, you have to enter back into relationship with them, or two, that somehow you let them off the hook and they've, they've, they've gotten away with no justice in that. Do you find that at all when you're dealing with people? And how I, do you overcome that? I do, especially when there's abuse involved. And so I walk through and say unforgiveness uh, really is about you. It's not about the other person. And really what you're doing when you forgive you are now taking yourself off the throne of judgment and you're actually inviting Jesus in. If there's justice to be dealt with, you're now allowing him to do it. And it really has, I like to say it really, uh, I'm overstating it a little, but it doesn't have anything to do with relationship. It has to do with your relationship with the Lord, not that person. Now forgiveness can open the door, but God does not put you in a headlock and make you be in a relationship with a with an abuser. Uh, you know, earlier in Matthew 18, he actually deals with the issue of relationship. The forgiveness is not. In that part of Matthew 18, he says, if your brother sins against you, go to him. If he repents, you want your brother back. If he doesn't, and you keep running it up the food chain until uh, if he doesn't repent, you can you can walk away from that a relationship. And so God doesn't require you to be in a relationship where 
a person will not repent. If they are sinning against you and you confront it and they won't repent, eventually you can absolutely uh, step out of that. And if we don't have that mindset, we will allow the enemy to devalue us and basically just undermine our identity and molest our soul. God has no intention of that. That's not what forgiveness is for. Forgiveness is to clean the pipeline to you and him and invite justice in by allowing him to sit back on the throne and deal with matters. When I'm sitting on the throne of unforgiveness, I have shut him out and I'm sitting in judgment and it doesn't go well. See, that's, and that's exactly what so many people don't understand. What I've told people uh, many times is that when, when you're walking in unforgiveness, when you know you have unforgiveness, sometimes we struggle with forgiving and it becomes like a daily act. I find many times I'm replaying to myself things people have done to hurt me. What should I have done differently? How would I handle it now? And I'm actually reliving that trauma again. And I actually yeah. sometimes have to, for, for some of you out there saying, I don't know how to stop thinking about what they did. It might not even be that you're angry, but that you're just reliving it. Um, and for me, sometimes I have to actually just out loud open my mouth and say, you don't get one more minute of my time. I won't allow that moment, that trauma to occupy my mind anymore, to occupy my thoughts. But what I find is when, when someone is exposed that they have unforgiveness, many times if they refuse to forgive, it's not the core of it for me, at least many times, is not that it's a forgiveness issue. It's a faith issue. And what I mean by that is they don't truly trust God that he is good, he is just, and that he can judge better than we can. We feel like if we give it to him, he's going to somehow just let them off the hook. There's, you know, the, the, it's fine. Just let it happen. Somehow, like almost like God is an enabler and they're so scared to turn it over to him. Whereas if you have a right understanding of who God is, then you recognize that he's the good judge. His justice is perfect. And when we forgive, we're handing it back over, like you said, to allow him to be the judge again versus us be the judge because he can judge perfectly. And it takes the pressure off us. But so many people are so scared to kind of let him lead. They are. And you actually tapped into another key component of this is to realize, you know, sometimes when events are replayed in my mind, maybe I need to forgive again, but there is a demonic component to this that starts playing, I call it the demonic loop in my head. And he starts trying to get me to relive the event. Sometimes I've already forgiven, but he's trying to bring it up to try to get me back in that place. And so you have to deal with it. I mean, you, you, you uh, said you say out loud. Sometimes I'll just say, uh, Lord, the, uh, that, that spirit wants to have a discussion with you about that event. Would you be my advocate and talk to him? Because I don't negotiate with terrorists. And, and that thing will go away. You'll find out that wasn't my thought. I don't have unforgiveness. He's trying to put that back on my forehead like a post-it note, and I don't receive it. That, that's so good. I don't negotiate with terrorists. Come on. The demonic is terrorizing you. Come on. That's so good. That, that's a good tool. So whatever it is that you need. For me, sometimes I need to hear myself say it in order for it to click. You know, the power of your words. So what's the danger, though, of reliving those, those moments other than just the fact that you're reliving the trauma? I mean, you're actually uh, uh, repeating the trauma over and over. 
and we know that, but what's the danger? Are we opening ourselves back up to those demonic? Are we like reopening the door? Are we sweeping the house clean, but not filling it? What, what's the danger there? Well, we are. And, you know, that's back to our analogy of the house. You know, demonic spirits lie to us and they attach to the lights. And so when I open the door through one of the biggest open doors to the enemy is unforgiveness. And so all kinds of stuff can attach anger, vengeance, um, bitterness. You know, uh, Hebrews talks about, you know, don't fail the grace of God and allow a root of bitterness to spring up. And through that, many are defiled. If you've ever been around a bitter person, uh, the demonic spirits attached to that are just defiling everybody they talk to. And if you allow unforgiveness to linger, it turns into bitterness. You allow bitterness to linger, it turns into judgment. Once you're in judgment, you've kicked God off the throne and you're now in judgment. And there's a passage that talks about in the way that you judged, it's boomeranged back onto you. So now you're just walking around getting boomeranged and you're in a mess when that starts happening. It's just not worth it. Forget it. No, what a wild concept though, that what you just said about the fact that it defiles many that that the 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 enemy that demonic force that's coming in there is not just trying to defile you but he's trying to defile your friends your family everyone you come in contact with this is a greater strategy uh you're a tool of warfare at that point you become an arrow in his hand uh, it, that to me that revelation of your unforgiveness or your trauma being allowed to you know it, well, it's it's my it's my issue okay it's me realizing that the goal is not just the destruction of the person that's attacked, but it's to take that person and turn them into a weapon, right? Yeah, they're weaponized and we release an atmosphere everywhere we go. I'm either releasing the atmosphere of heaven or I'm releasing the atmosphere of darkness. Whatever you come into agreement with in the spirit realm, you give it power and authority over you and you're releasing that everywhere you go. You said you don't negotiate with terrorists, but it's almost like these demons are terrorists and they have found leverage on somebody. Um, almost like a Hollywood movie. Let me just relate it to that. They found leverage on somebody and they have strapped a bomb to their chest Amen. and sent them in somewhere and said, do this or I'm getting your family. There is leverage against that person that it has taken a good person and caused them to submit to the terrorism and Amen. become a part of that process, right? Amen. You know, that's a, that's a good segue. If you'll let me, I'll go into what I've seen. Uh, the, the, I've seen this uh, pattern. Uh, me and my team have seen this pattern. And it's, it's, it's really in my book that we'll talk about. But what we've discovered is there is a core lie that the enemy puts in everyone's heart starting at a very early age. And we've never seen a core lie come in older than six years old. And my wife is in the medical profession and she goes, do you know why it's six years old and younger? I said, I don't have a clue. That's just the pattern I'm seeing. And she said, it's because the first six years are the most intense time of brain development. It's when you're the most open, you know, to ideas and beliefs. And it's why you can learn a language at that age. And by the time you get my age, you can't even speak English very well. <laughs> but but the, the core lie is the central lie I mean, and there's only one, there's, it's the central lie. It's like a spinal cord. Every other lie comes off of it like nerves coming off of a spinal cord. So what the enemy does 
He creates an emotionally charged event. He puts a lie in your heart about who you are. It becomes the lens that you interpret life through. That is the wickedness of the enemy. And I've seen it over and over and over. It's really based that part of it. Second Corinthians 10, four through five. I was putting that verse in my, uh, that passage in my first training manual. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Hey, would you like to know what that passage means? And I started laughing. I'm like, man, that'd be great since I quote it all the time. I thought I knew what it meant. Uh, and we're familiar with it. It says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. We're destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So what he was showing me, and we know John says that God's voice sounds like many waters. So passages can have depths of meaning. I'm not saying this is the only meaning of that passage, but it's the meaning that matters to me the most in sessions. And what he showed me is, uh, and by the way, this is the only passage in scripture where we get a detailed uh, intel on how to destroy strongholds. And so the first we need to do, it says we're destroying speculations. So God showed me that's that core lie that comes in at an early age and the splinter lies coming off. And then he says, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So there's a core lie about the Father, core lie about the Holy Spirit, core lie about Jesus. Those two lies work together, create all the devaluation and insecurity in your life, how you cope with it, or your strongholds. That was a mic drop. I can take everyone's strongholds, trace it back to those two lies. If you try to deal with strongholds, apart from dealing with the core lie about you and the core lie about God, you're just into sin management. I'm into sin eradication. If I get to that root and destroy the core lie that I'm looking at life through, I now have real power over my addiction, over sexual orientation, over how he's destroying my marriage, the, uh, the web, the, the scaffolding over the soul that I've seen, demonic strategy, is all falls apart when that core lie starts getting dismantled and our lies about God now your strongholds start to fall off without you having to grit your teeth and say, I'm not going to sin today. Oof, that's so good. So give me an example, uh, you know, like what could you possibly have that is such a powerful core lie before the age of six? I mean, isn't that the time of innocent? Isn't that the way we look at it? Like, oh, the, you know, that was, I can hardly remember that time. And you're saying it's such an important time for development. So what possibly could attach yourself before the age of six that could be a core lie that disrupts your, your adulthood? Uh, very common core lies. Uh, you know, the, probably the number one core lie I hear the most is I'm not good enough. And what you don't realize, because we're disconnected from our heart, that's buried deep in our heart. Uh, 100% of the time now, God will tell me the age the core lie came in so we don't have to go after a bunch of memories. I'll know by the time they sit down on my couch or I like to say over the phone, why are you on my couch today, my, my virtual couch. Uh, he'll give me the age and just all of our team members too, that's a tool he's given us. So we go after the memory where it comes in and they won't remember the event, which is why he gives me the age. So I'll have a ask, Jesus, would you... Uh, is there a memory you want to heal when I was three? And I may be talking to a 70-year-old man that's looking at me, and I'm, I say to him, 
don't try to come up with this. You'll sort, short circuit what the Lord's trying to do. Just let him give it to you. And the Lord faithfully brings the memory up. And when they step back into that memory, we always invite Jesus with them to release all the trauma and the pain. We'll have them ask, what is the core lie the enemy put in my heart? Sometimes it takes a little bit of, I usually know what it is, so it takes a little bit of maneuvering to get them to see it. Their heart is trying to fight uh, you getting to all of the root of all their pain. But when you get there, the next thing I have them ask, Jesus, show me how this lie has affected my whole life. And they just start to weep because they see it's touched every area of their life. You know, typically with the core lie of I'm not good enough, they'll be striving to prove they are. They're going to be prone to religion. Uh, or they also will just give up. They'll isolate and not try. And then they're going to have some numbing tool, you know, pornography, alcohol. They're just going to see this network that the enemy, the structure scaffolding, the enemy has built around their soul based on this lie. And it has affected their life. And the way it gets dismantled is through encounter with Jesus. What all core lies have in common, it's a devaluing lie about who you are. Our number one need is value-based love. It takes our number one need and makes that God-sized hole the size of the Grand Canyon. And I like to say core lies are like a ditch he puts you in. And then he starts handing you shovels telling you to dig and you'll get out. If you've ever tried to dig out of a ditch, you know what's happening. And those shovels are your strongholds. My strongholds are the way I'm coping with that core lie. That's why it's a divinely powerful weapon to allow Jesus start to dismantle that core lie and those strongholds are attached to it. So it starts falling apart, especially when you start getting the spirits off, the lie starts getting dismantled. Now people get set free from addiction. Come on. Come on. So, I mean, but you know, when you start casting out demons, everyone like rolls around the floor and screams and shouts and growls and climbs the walls, right? Sometimes. Most <laughs> of the time, not. Right. You know, uh, we get everything in between and it's, un it's unpredictable. You know, if it bothers you too much, you can, you can command spirits to stop manifesting. Uh, typically, you know, in my sessions, if they're doing it, it doesn't bother me because it's, I can tell more, uh, dramatically when they leave and I've never had anybody traumatized for me doing deliverance. It's very calm. Uh, I like to say, if you see 10 people standing over somebody screaming and yelling, that's not deliverance. That's nonsense. I won't take any part of that. Come on. Because what you're doing, demons want to humiliate the person and they want to put on a show and all you're doing is helping them out. I, uh, I want you to hear that. If any of you out there have ever watched, I want you to hear that. That is the most important thing. Because remember, we're talking about inner healing through getting rid of traumatic events, lies that have happened, traumatic things, trauma on the person. And then if the deliverance is someone shouting and screaming and watching someone growl all over the floor, that person ends up traumatized again. You're, you're actually sending them through a horror movie. And so what Ray is saying is so valuable that we need to make sure uh, that we are not traumatizing the person screaming, yelling. And, and it, that's not that's the redeeming, I think, of deliverance that needs to happen is not making the person such a spectacle that they're humiliated and embarrassed because that is the demon that demonic force knows it's leaving. Once yeah. it's encountered a true son of God, it knows it's leaving. Yeah. So why not do as much damage on the way out? 
You know, I, I think of it this way. I think of it of it's that's the bubble gum and it's pushing on the locks so it has access again. It's making sure it's got a window unlocked so when it comes back after it finds nowhere to rest, it can come back with its buddies and find a way in. Wow, that's good. That's good. You know, I've whispered demons out of guys in prison. Nobody knew what I was doing. I was sitting there, it looked like I was praying with them and I was getting spirits off of them. They're not leaving because of the volume or, or, or loudness of your voice. They're leaving because of the authority. They're leaving for two reasons. The person has broken agreement with that spirit and you're commanding it to go in Jesus' name. And those spirits know when you know whose authority you carry because it takes the pressure off you because it's not about you. It's not your authority. It's the authority of Jesus. And when you walk in that, uh, and they have, if, if a demon's not leaving in very short order, I've learned, I'm, I'm going to cut years off your deliverance training. I've learned that if spirits aren't leaving within five, ten minutes at the tops, there's still an agreement in place. And you got to find what that agreement is. It may typically be with another spirit. There's, the only reason they're not leaving is because there's an agreement in place. They're leaving because the agreement is broken and, they're, and you're commanding them to go in Jesus' name using his authority. That's deliverance. And okay, you don't so there's have an to agreement. yell. Yeah, that's really good. There's an agreement in place. So what does that look like when, when you're trying and you're realizing it's not come out, you realize that they have a legal right to be there. They've, they've made an agreement. So how do you like, how do you break that? How do, what do you do with the person at that point? Well, I'll have the person ask Jesus, is there an agreement still in place? I'm listening. They're listening. And sometimes you'll hear uh, a couple of more things. They break that all of a sudden it goes. I'll give you an extreme example of, um, I'm not sure if I want to go here with, with our audience, but well, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep a PG rating on this. So there was a person who this is dangerous church. This so, is, so if you let me, that you should me have a PG at least 13 rating on that. Cool. Here we go. Praying with a guy. Uh, there was at the end of a session, he had several spirits, uh, got all of them off except the spirit of lust. And I spent about an hour trying to get this thing off. That was before I fully got what I know now. And I couldn't, couldn't get this one off of him, but I got everything else. And he came back about two days later and through some deep inner healing, he uh, had a God revealed to him that he had made a contract with a demon when he was 13, that if that spirit would give him power to have sex with his neighbor, that he could have his soul. As soon as that revelation came out, I had him break that contract. That spirit of lust left in like two minutes. Come on. Power of agreement. Spent an hour trying to get it off. When we found the agreement, boom, got in about two minutes. It shows you the power of agreement. That was part of my journey. I used to not know this. And you could spend a lot of time. And I've learned how to be real efficient getting them out now. And that agreement is key to getting spirits off. Uh, you know, we, we can use that term, you know, legal rights, but I like the idea of agreement and the fact that they're a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you realize you're playing with, you're, you're dealing with something that's an outlaw that doesn't play by the rules, uh, but that there's one rule they have to obey. When that person's not in agreement, all of heaven is behind you kicking that thing off. So they got no choice.
They don't have an option once the agreement's broken. Yeah. That's the well, only power they understand. The enemy is a counterfeiter. Most people don't recognize he doesn't come up with anything new and spiritual principles work both ways. The word of God says where two or more come into agreement. There's power in agreement and the enemy needs your agreement just as much. He needs your agreement. Why? Because he's not a child of God. He doesn't have the breath of God. He doesn't have power in his words, but he does have power when you come into agreement because you have power. And so it's like you're handing your authority over to him. You become the puppet on the strings. That's, that's perfect. You know, and a lot of people will overstate, you know, I, I like to do trick questions and, you know, when I'm training and people learn pretty quick not to answer too fast because they know it's a trick. But I'll ask people, you know, um, about, you know, the enemy, how much if Jesus has, has all authority, you know, in Matthew 28, after his resurrection, he said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And he was saying that as a resurrected man, not as God. As God, he has all authority. As a resurrected man, he won back. Uh, what we lost in the garden and what we lost was our authority. And so I like to say, you know, if, if Jesus has all authority, uh, how much does the enemy have? And everybody will say none and they'll go wrong answer. He has the authority that we give him. Yes. And people will say, well, he doesn't have power. Oh, he's got, uh, he's got infinite power. What he doesn't have is authority and we give it to him through agreement. That's why he's after our mind all the time, because yes. if he takes control of our mind, we become his tool. Amen. Uh, absolutely. So can somebody unknowingly enter into agreement? Can they have an agreement? You know, like the, the one gentleman you gave the example, he made a, you know, he made an agreement with this demonic thing, but can you accidentally have agreement where you don't realize you've done that? Yeah. And you can also be just overrun. I mean, you know, a, five-year-old girl getting sexually molested, she didn't have an agreement with that, but she got overrun and she got attached. You know, the spirits that were on that molester got on her. So that's why I, I'm cautious about, and, and I use it, we all use that term legal rights, but he's also a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He can just overrun you. He's yeah, a molester. He's, he's a rapist. He's just, uh, you know, he can... What we don't realize, we, we know about the thought game. What we don't realize, he can also project emotion onto us. And because emotion is a lot more real to us sometimes than our thoughts, we think that what I'm feeling is actually mine. I'm like, don't own a terrorist thoughts or emotions. I mean, we need to separate ourselves from that. And so sometimes we just get overrun. And I didn't really consciously agree with it. I got overwhelmed with the feeling and I just succumbed to it without realizing I was making a conscious agreement with the spirit. So he's very crafty and we didn't, we, uh, but we have a infinitely, the, the creator is infinitely more powerful than a creator, than, than a cre part of his creation. And so we got to realize that we are sons and daughters of a king and he's got all the keys. He's got all the power, all the authority. All we have to do is stay in alignment with him. So and good. Yeah. So if someone, you know, like, like what you said, goes through a sexual trauma when they're young, 
that overrun could be something like fear or uh, 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 being uh, uh, scared to enter into a relationship, uh, you know, and so that fear becomes kind of an agreement that, hey, if I, if I go near people, this is going to happen again. It's almost like a prophetic agreement in ways. You, you believe it'll happen again. And so you kind of hand over that belief system to the enemy and it becomes a powerful tool where you start to believe the enemy has authority over you. Yes. You're kind of giving, if, if I get around a man, it'll happen again, like that kind of, so there, there's an authority that's been given. There's a prophetic declaration almost in that. Yes, and we, you're, man, spot on. We speak, you are from the spiritual DNA of the creator God who speaks things into existence. Your words have power. And you're either prophesying over your life from the kingdom of light or from the kingdom of darkness. And these negative things we say out loud are prophetic words and they are shaping our destiny and opening the door to the demonic. We're inviting them in. And, you know, you talking about uh, in connection with that, a core lie does the same thing. It's the interpretive lens I see things through. I now have an expectation of rejection because of a core lie. All right. Well, now I've just set myself up through expectation to already be in agreement when it comes, I knew it was going to happen, and we even say those things. And what we've got to do is learn to break the power of those lies over our life. And one more area where things can come into our life without our conscious agreement is generational iniquity. It's it's real. Uh, man, I, I came into it kicking and screaming. I got friends that teach, you know, you have a new family and so you don't have to deal with generational iniquity because you've now been grafted into the family of God. Yes and amen, but you have to apply the cross to it. And I have seen healings. I even talked about the one at the beginning of the, the program, the macular degeneration. That lady been praying healing over her son for two years. And when we found, and it was a generational sin that this kid didn't come into agreement with, but he's bearing the brunt of it. And when we dealt with it, boom, healing happened. So generational iniquity is something that doesn't take much time at all to deal with. And we've seen radical uh, healings. Ken Fish talks about a kid that got healed of a flesh-eating bacteria because he had the parents break agreement with Freemasonry and the kid. He was dying, and the kid got completely healed. Wow. Generational iniquity is a real thing. And you didn't consciously come into agreement with that. It got handed down to you. So you're vulnerable to what your ancestors did. The, the great thing about it is generational sin is the easiest thing to overcome because your ancestors aren't getting you reinfected when you break it. So it's easy to do and God honors it. And we've seen amazing power happen from it. So I like to say you know, always remember you're dealing with a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't play by the rules. The only rules he plays by is when you break agreement and, and uh, you take authority over it through Jesus, he has to play by that rule because now heaven gets involved. And yeah. you are a representative of the government of heaven, and he has to obey that one. 
It's so good. And see that, but generational iniquity, generational curses, all that kind of stuff, it plays into that same narrative we talked about earlier where the enemy wants to weaponize you against others. His core value is not just to destroy you, it's to destroy all of God's children and you become that tool in his hand. And so, you know, like a lot of times when I'm counseling, like let's say uh, relationships, marriages, something like that, um, I, you know, I, I let people know here's the, here is the side effect of allowing that trauma to root in you or allowing that to have its place in you, allowing fear, that fear of, uh, I can't trust anybody because they'll do it again. Or I, you see, I knew this was going to happen. That mentality of believing that it'll happen again. And you say, well, I'm just being wise. There is a level of wisdom that you can learn from those things and, and, and be safe and cautious. But then it crosses over into a place where uh, you're actually prophesying into your future. And what I mean by that is, is when I counsel marriages, many times what I find is, is that the the new husband is being punished for the sins of the former husband. The new husband is completely innocent, but the former husband has cheated. So now the new husband, perfect, without any problems in this area, has his phone checked, his emails checked, his, his location monitored, and the, 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 and women, husbands, husbands, wives, it, it goes both ways. I'm not picking on women. I was just given one analogy, but you have this situation where the, the new spouse is then receiving the punishment and they weren't the ones that committed the crime. So yeah. they're, they're being the stand in. And here's the truth. Jesus is the only one that received punishment and didn't commit a crime. And somehow we're projecting that onto people. Let me give just a super short analogy here. Um, I, I have a house rental and I rented it out to one of my uh, pastoral staff uh, years ago. And they, they burned me when, when they moved out, they left the place a mess. There was dog uh, feces all over the carpet, peed all over everything. They destroyed the house. It, it turns out we, 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 there was an anger problem. He's punching holes in the wall. Like it, it was like, are, are you kidding me right now? Uh, it was bad. And, and, and so we, we had another friend in the church, someone who had been a friend of mine and came to our church and, and he needed a place to rent. And somebody who was wise came to me and said, you don't want to rent to a friend. That's bad advice. You should not rent to a friend. Look what happened with the last friend that you rented to. And I said, I appreciate your wisdom and I appreciate you protecting me, but I will not hold the sins of that man against this one. He Amen. has done nothing wrong. He's now rented my house for four years now and, and everything has been perfect from him. I refuse to hold the sins. Now, wisdom, you know, have a contract, make sure you got a deposit. You know, there's wisdom that you can have there. Uh, check the house, check up on it. But I refuse to hold the sins of the former against the latter uh, or the, the, the next against the latter. So we have to be careful not to take that because the enemy is weaponizing you against the next person. He's going to pass that along as many times as he possibly can. Amen. And, you know, that's, a, that's an amazing analogy for generational iniquity as well, that the uh, sins that the parents are involved in get passed on to the to the offspring there's an amazing I, i'm not a scientist i'm gonna get in over my head pretty quick here but there uh there's a study called epigenetics epigenetics and, and they've discovered there are methyl tags they're like post-it notes they get placed on genes to turn them on and off and they've even done studies in mice where they have found that a a grandfather mouse 
had fear that got passed down to the grandson through the methyl tag epigenetic study. That's What's crazy. amazing about that study is that the grandfather was actually removed from the equation. So the, the grandchild mice never encountered uh, a learned behavior from a parent. So they, they were afraid. Yeah, they, they made them smell like an almond cherry smell. And then they removed the parent once the young was made. And then those young had a fear when they smelled that smell, even though they had never encountered the parent that had that fear. So it was not a learned behavior, it was a genetic response. And so a lot of times we can carry that exact thing. That is the, and what's amazing about that study, Ray, that I love so much about it, is when you look at it, they studied how long that effect lasted. And wouldn't you know it, it lasted to the third or fourth generation. Yes. Yes. And that is the scripture the iniquities, the third and fourth generation. And it's like God was trying to tell people back then that couldn't quite understand science, you know, yes. just the basic principles of it, that this stuff can can stick on you if you don't break it free because it, it's actually affecting our genetics. Yes, and it's affecting my generational line. Yes. Like it's, I'm, it's not just about me. God is transgenerational. I love in the passage where he starts that, he starts talking about, you know, I'm a loving God, you know, mercy, compassion. And then he says, but I won't leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers down to the fourth generation. And guess what happens when the fourth generation is doing the same thing? It goes another four. And so you can have generational iniquity that goes on, but God says that he passes down blessing thousand generations like his uh we haven't even seen a thousand generations of humanity yet nope and so his blessings uh when they go through the bloodline there's mantles on bloodline there's i mean you see generational blessing you know i think bill johnson is like a fifth generation pastor you see the anointing and blessing of god flowing and so we get to make decisions not only for us but our offspring, we can actually make it easier on them. It becomes the Elijah, Elisha principle. We can have transgenerational blessing, a double portion, a double portion. If the church had been doing that for 2000 years, we'd all be walking on water right now. Come on. So it, it's important to, to, to recognize that even trying to teach better behavior, saying, hey, don't be afraid of this son. If it's got a genetic response, uh, trying to unlearn or teach is not an effective model. We need to really step in to Holy Spirit. We need to step into the power of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and really get healed of that so that our it'll actually change our genetic response. Our genetic response was changed by a moment. It can be changed back by a moment. Amen. Th that's how it works. So people say, well, my genetics are messed up. I'm stuck. No. Your, your parents or you literally went through something that had a genetic response. So you go through a healing process that also has a genetic response. It's, it's, this is not that mystified. It's actually way more simple. And when you look at it through that lens, you realize you've actually changed your genetic response that passes on to your generations. If you have a generation now, you need to change their genetic response now get that healed up, right? So uh, tell us about your, your book real quick as we close down and, and where people can find you and everything. Yep, so my book is called, uh, see if I can get it up here in the camera right. Uh, boy, it's hard to turn when you're doing it backwards, right? It is, it is, it's so confusing. Wow, I still haven't got it right. 
So it's called uh, Beating the Devil with His Own Stick. And what it's about is eight patterns common to everybody I've ever prayed with. And it's actually the story of Joseph. So it's been a, a real powerful. It's not an inner healing deliverance manual, although there's equipping in it. And there's exercises at the end of the chapters. You can find it at miningthetruth.com. It's the only place I, I sell it. Um, and so that's, that's how you can uh, locate us. There's also forms you can submit if you want prayer ministry. And yeah. Come on. So um, if you would, for those people that are on here, we can't walk you through an entire healing, but you've heard some tools here. You know, Ray, would you, would you mind just praying over them? Uh, just something that they can walk through on their end without engaging, something that we can get them started in that process. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was just hearing before the program, you know, uh, the word anxiety. And, you know, I, I, I feel like COVID, what's worse than the, than the virus itself is the spiritual virus it released. This is the first time in world history where the entire globe is united under a demonic spirit of fear or anxiety. And so I feel like anxiety has been unleashed globally. And it's gained a lot of power uh, over people. And so, you know, if you, uh, what I typically would walk people through is I would just have you just pray to the Lord and just say, Jesus, uh, I break agreement with all anxiety. And we're going to go ahead and do fear. And fear has a, it's the only spirits that I know are like Siamese twins. Fear and control always go together. You won't have fear without control. You'll never have control without fear. And so we just want to say, Jesus, I break agreement with anxiety. I break agreement with all fear and all control. And I break their power off of my life through the blood of Jesus. And then uh, as y'all have done that, I'm just commanding that all anxiety, all fear, all control bow the knee right now before my king. The full weight of the government of heaven is decreeing and declaring that you are leaving right now. You're leaving everyone that has broken agreement with anxiety, fear, and control. You're bowing the knee and leaving, and you're never going to return. There's no gum in the key lock. You're not coming back. And then we're just going to pray for every space the enemy has left vacant that Holy Spirit we declare it kingdom territory. And we just invite you to fill every square inch of every part of every person's being, body, soul, or spirit, that you would fill it with kingdom, life, destiny. And I pray for gifts to get released that have been hindered through anxiety, fear, and control. And every lie that came in through those spirits, we break the power of those right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you heard that prayer, if you prayed that prayer and something clicks, changes, make sure to message us and let us know what God did for you. Step into this more. This is the beginning of this conversation and there is more that God wants to do through you. So I love you guys and appreciate you for listening today. And thank you, Ray, for being on here on the broadcast. We'll see you guys next time on DNA of a Dangerous Church. 
Thank you for listening to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Be sure to subscribe to the show on CharismaPodcastNetwork.com or iTunes, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow Pastor Ren Shuffman on social media and join our mailing list for exclusive bonus training content at www.ffc.church/dangerous. slash